teach this morning. As you are doing that, you can always fill out connection cards and give online at the website, vinetrustful.com. Also, if you're not following us on Instagram or on Facebook, you can do that. That's where we, you know, communicate with one another sometimes and we publish pictures of the men's breakfast yesterday and all that stuff there. But also, you can go to our website and uh, if you're not getting the weekly email, I send out an email every single Thursday or Friday, usually Thursday, sometimes Friday. Uh, if you're not getting that, we t- it's really the primary, more detailed form of communication. Uh, we usually post those emails every week to Facebook and, and, uh, and Instagram as well. But if you want to know what's happening, what's coming up, what series we're doing, all that kind of stuff, uh, make sure we have your email address, the connection card, the blue ones on the table or in the chairs in front of you. You can fill that out and put your email on it. Or if you're online, you can do that there. And uh, if you're joining us online, we are going to be moving from Facebook to YouTube for our live feed starting Sunday, September the 12th. So not next week, but the next, we'll be switching from Facebook to YouTube. Uh, There's just a lot more things we can do with YouTube Live. We have a lot more capabilities and all that. So definitely if you're one of the people that join us online, uh, make sure you make note of that. Especially... I know a lot of you guys are sick this morning, and uh, I got some text messages and stuff. You guys aren't feeling well. So uh, I wanted you to know, too, anytime you're staying homesick, you can always join us online live. We, we like you to be here so we can see your face. But we also know uh, online is a great way to stay connected when you're out. So uh, before we move, any f- move forward from here, I wanted us just to say a prayer uh, for those who are sick. We have some people in our family who have been sick for a couple weeks. We have some that their kids are sick, and it, it stinks being sick. Like, I hate being sick. But it's almost worse when the kids are sick. Like, it's just terrible when the kids are sick. Because you got, not only, you know, your heart goes out to them and your compassion because they're your kids, you hate to see them hurting, but also you have to take care of them. So it's like a double whammy, right? Like, it's two things. So we're just going to pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much that you are a healer. God, we thank you that we know we can call on your name and that you bring healing. Father, I pray for everyone in our church family who is feeling sick. God, every single child, every single baby, God, every single adult who's feeling under the weather. We pray that right now that you would come into their homes, come into their bedrooms, come into their kitchens, and that you would heal them. God, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you would miraculously heal them and that they would get better uh, right now. God, I pray that you would just uh, continually help us as a church family to, uh, to stay healthy and stay safe. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, we are continuing our series uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, and today is Week two of a two-part series I started last week called Jesus the Revolutionary. You know, last week we talked a, a little bit about this up front, how Jesus was a, a revolutionary, but not just against Israelite culture. He wasn't a revolutionary against Old Testament law. Primarily, he was a revolutionary against human nature. And so many of the things that he taught his disciples that then were recorded in Scripture so that we, his followers now, can learn from, so many of these lessons are counterintuitive to what our natural human nature, our sin nature, our flesh, you know, gravitates towards. So today we're continuing this series, or continuing this two-part, uh, this two-part message about Jesus being a revolutionary against human nature. You know, earlier this week, uh, one of the kids uh, in our house did something. And even as they were doing it, uh, Brooke told them to stop. And I said, what's funny is I'm actually telling a story about this exact scenario this Sunday. 
I'm glad to know it's still going on, like, and it's still a relevant story. I thought we were over this. Apparently not. But then also they were upset we were, that I told them I was going to tell the story, and I said, well, I never reveal names, so I'm not telling you which child it was. But we're sitting at the dinner table, and they're eating their food, and their hands begin to be a little messy. And I guess they probably uh, get this part from me, but I hate when my hands are messy like when I'm eating. Like I always have a napkin, and I like use a napkin 10, 15, 20 times while I eat. I don't know, something about it. It's just like I don't like when my fingers are all messy, but it's much better than what I used to do because when we first got married, I would lick my fingers constantly, and Brooke finally was like, hey, you've got to stop. I was like, what? She's like, you've got to stop licking your fingers when you eat. I was like, oh, yeah, I do that quite a bit. And she goes, it's all the time, and it's weird. Like it's, you should stop. So now I use a napkin. But this kid of ours, doesn't like their hands and their fingers to be dirty either, but instead of licking their fingers, instead of using a napkin, which is readily available on the table right in front of them, they like to rub their hands on our nice fabric dining room chairs and that be their napkin. Mom and dad do not like for this to be their napkin, and we've told them over and over and over and over and over again, Stop rubbing. We got these new chairs, I don't know, nine, ten months ago or something. And they're fabric. We used to have, like, wooden chairs with these fabric chairs. And ever since then, they start wiping their hands like it's a napkin. It's like, you got to stop. These are expensive. Like, you got to stop doing this. See, what happens is, is we form these habits. And whenever we have these habits, even though we know, like, we're not supposed to do it, cognitive, you know, mentally, we know this is not good. We shouldn't. It's this habit. And so they're like, I'm sorry. Why just, I don't even know why. It's just a habit. It's like, great. Change it now, right? <laughs> but habits are hard to break. Here's the thing. We have all kinds of habits. Good ones, great ones, and bad ones. Really bad ones. You know, we, we form habits. I mean, our physical bodies were created to form habits. You know, habits aren't a bad thing because we can create good, healthy, godly, holy habits. Our brains are hardwired to be as efficient as possible. That's what, why we have habits, because our brain creates a habit out of something so it doesn't have to use its thinking power to do it, that you can just naturally do it. You know, you can just, you can get up and you can drive your car back to your house because you've driven to your house 15 times. You don't have to think about it. You can just kind of go through the motions and get there because your brain has formed this, this habit. Now, a lot of times when we talk about habits, we talk about it in a negative sense because there are lots and lots of bad habits, but there are really good habits as well. Now, as we study uh, the Beatitudes, Jesus is talking about these internal things. Much more than external actions, he's talking about these internal motivations, these internal decisions. Well, we can, through training, we can, through scripture, through um, constantly doing the right thing, we can train ourselves to form godly, holy, righteous, Jesus-like habits. Not just outward actions, but internal thinking processes. The way that we process information, the way we think about things, we can form loving, grace-filled habits. You know, there's a, a book called The Power of Habit. It is a number, you know, New York bestseller a few years back and all this. But it tells this story about th- this man who has dementia, and he just, he can't process, he can't remember anything, uh, you know, really, really, really bad form uh, of dementia. So his wife has to care for him all the time. Well, she started taking him for walks because he would just f- forget to walk. And he just didn't know, you know, basically couldn't do anything, couldn't function on his own. So she would start taking him for walks around the block. So every single morning that got up, and then she would take him for a walk around the block. And she did it every single morning over and over and over again. And then one morning they got up 
and she had gone into the kitchen and she turned around and her husband wasn't there and she began to, to panic because if he got lost, he doesn't know his phone number, he doesn't know his name, he doesn't know her name, he doesn't know where he lives, nothing. And so she starts to panic and she goes outside and she's looking for them. She can't find him. She comes back in the house and a little while later, he opens the front door, goes back and sits down in his chair afterwards. And she's like, you're back. And he goes, he's like, what, 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 what do you mean? Where did I go? Like, he doesn't even know that he went on this walk. See, he had naturally formed this habit that he had physically done the same walk. And so now she didn't even have to go with him. He would do that same walk every single day without her even needing to be a part of it because of that habit that was formed. See, whenever we uh, get close to Jesus, when we read scripture, when we practice godliness and righteousness, when we begin to ingrain the Beatitudes inside of us, living like Jesus becomes much less something we have to try to do, and it becomes a part of who we are. It becomes of our DNA. It's a natural overflow of that. Last week, we talked about how Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, being a peacemaker so many times goes against our human nature. It's counterintuitive to us, but when we train ourselves to live like Jesus, to be a peacemaker in every scenario, it begins to be a part of who we are. It begins to be a part of our nature. Well, today in Matthew chapter 5, we're uh, going on. Last week, we worked, we worked through verse 9, and today we're going to talk about 10, 11, and 12. And Jesus talks about another uh, beatitude, another, uh, another part of living in his family that's counterintuitive to our human nature. Jesus says, blessed, those People that go through these things, that experience these things, they are blessed. They have found good fortune. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. I don't really want to be persecuted. Like, I don't know about you, but someone's like, you're going to be persecuted. I don't go, awesome. That sounds exciting. That sounds fun. I'm going to count myself as blessed. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you. I don't like to be insulted. I don't know anyone who likes to be insulted. He says, blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, when they lie about you, when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice. Be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who are before you. Jesus says we are to rejoice and be glad when people treat us poorly, when people persecute us, when people lie about us, when people are jealous of us and try to, they, they set their sights out on us so they can, they can ruin us in some way. We are to rejoice when people lie about us. We're to rejoice when people insult us because of Jesus. We are to be glad and rejoice. But this takes this takes some godly spiritual habit forming to when someone's insulting you to think, this is awesome. I'm glad. I'm excited about this. It, it takes some, uh, some understanding. It, it takes some training. It, it's revolutionary because our human nature, our natural desire is to seek revenge. Our natural desire when someone persecutes us, when someone attacks us, when they lie about us, when they insult us, our natural desire, our natural, uh, you, you know, uh, inkling, our human nature breaks into that fight or flight mentality, right? Is that, well, if they're attacking me, I'm going to attack right back, or I'm going to defend myself, and I'm going to go, you know, or that, that fight, or that flight of like, I'm getting away, and I'm running away from this altogether. But nowhere in our fight or flight nature do we think, ooh, 
I'm glad they insulted me. Like, ooh, this is cool. This is exciting. They're making fun of me. Ooh, they lied about me to my boss. This is awesome. No, it's not exciting. But Jesus says, when, when people do these things because of me, rejoice. Be glad. It's a revolutionary way of thinking. When we're treated poorly because of Jesus, because of the gospel, we are to rejoice. Because the way we live, because of what we believe, we're to rejoice. So, a few things we're going to take note of today and, and look through some biblical stories and, and reflections of this is we are to rejoice when you are left out. Rejoice when you are ridiculed. Rejoice when you're overlooked. Rejoice when we're hated. When we are left out, ridiculed, overlooked, or hated because of Jesus, because of our beliefs, because of the way that we live, we are to rejoice. You know, when we hear the word persecution, when we hear the word being persecuted, we have kind of a different uh, understanding of that, or, or maybe even a lack of understanding of that in our culture, because for, for a long time in our nation, for a long time in our culture, in our society, we have not been persecuted really at all for following Jesus. More of that is coming up now. It's been coming up the last, you know, few years, 20, 30 years or so. It's been, been coming up, but persecution still looks a little different. We're not being beaten or thrown in jail, but there are times where we're left out. I remember back when I was in high school, uh, I had, you know, heard through the grapevine, you know, caught wind that there was a party going on on a Friday night, and I wasn't invited to the party. And when I heard that I wasn't invited, like, it really, it stung. I mean, it stung deep. Because I was like, what, these are like, I thought I was friends with all these people. Like, we're close, and we hang out, and I'm on the basketball team with some of these guys. And, like, I've been friends with some of these girls for years. Like, I don't understand why I wouldn't be invited to the party. And it, and it really hurt. So, you know, the week goes by, and I don't, you know, make a big stink about it or anything. But I just, internally, I'm just, I'm sad. I feel left out. You know, feeling alone, feeling like I'm not liked, all this stuff. And Monday rolls around, and there's all this talk at school about what happened at the party. Come to find out, the reason why I wasn't invited to the party was every single person at the party had decided that they were all going to go smoke weed together. And I remember in that moment, that, that pain and that, that sting that I heard of, like, well, why did they in, invite me turned into this, like, oh, yeah. They knew that I wouldn't, I wouldn't approve. I wouldn't have done that. And so there was a sense of this, my, my natural nature for days I had been sad and, and, and left out and, and feeling alone. And it turned into this being like, oh, maybe I am doing something right. Because they knew that I wouldn't want to be a part of that. That feeling, those, those emotions of being left out had, had shifted and had turned. Yeah, I remember uh, even just recently, a couple years ago, uh, when I was working here in, at a, in downtown Birmingham, uh, there and I went into I walked into a room and a few people were talking and they were having seemed like a very lively wonderful conversation and I walked in and instantly they stopped talking and I sat down and because I was sitting down at my desk and about to eat and I was like hey sorry I didn't mean to interrupt the conversation and one guy goes ah it's all right you just wouldn't like us talking about what we were talking about in that moment I was like oh like oh that kind of like oh that hurts like that that stings that I wasn't a part of this you know and later on, one of them was like, yeah, we were gossiping and talking about someone. And we, when you walked in, we realized we probably shouldn't have been doing it, so we stopped anyways. I was like, oh, well, I guess that's a good thing. You know, it's like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm left out because of this. I remember when, uh, in high school, 
there was this uh, a, a boy that I was really good friends with, and we hung out all the time. We were really close. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he just decided that he hated me. He just decided he hated me, and I didn't understand why. Like, I had no idea why. Like, that he just decided he didn't want to be around me, that he didn't want anything to do with me, and he hated me and started, like, trying to, you know, uh, undercut me in all kinds of ways. I remember sitting down with my youth pastor, talking to him about it, and I was like, I don't understand. Like, I was not, I didn't do anything wrong. I even asked him if I did something wrong, and he told me no, that I didn't do anything. He didn't, couldn't stand to be around me. I was like, what is going on? And I, I was hurt by it. I felt betrayed. I was wounded. And I remember my youth pastor sitting across from me. And I remember him saying this. And he, he goes, Nathan, he doesn't hate you. He doesn't hate you. I was like, yeah, he does. And he says, no, he's going in a direction that he knows is wrong. And he can't stand to be around the Holy Spirit living inside you. He says, your light is casting on his darkness. And it's revealing how dark the path he's going on. And he's chosen that he wants to go on that path. And I was like, yeah, but that hurts. That, that, that stinks. I remember sitting with him in that moment and him talking me through this. He's like, you know, sometimes we're going to be left out. Sometimes we're going to be ridiculed. Sometimes we're even going to be hated because of the way we live. We have to make sure we still operate in love, but also we have to rejoice. He said, you got to rejoice in those times. And then he knew all this, and he was like, rejoice that you didn't get to go to that party. Rejoice that he hates you because, he said, they're going in a way that you don't want to go. And he said, what happens is you are suffering right now because you're following Jesus. I said, man, this is a drastic reorganization, you know, of my thoughts and my emotions as a young teenage boy. You know, it's like, wait, so it's a good thing that they didn't want to hang out with me, right? Like, that doesn't feel good. He counseled me through. I remember sitting, Oscar Ortiz was my youth pastor, sitting in his office, and he talked with me over and over and over, counseled me all the time about how to, how to treat people in these scenarios. We're to rejoice when we're left out, ridiculed, overlooked. We're to rejoice when we're hated. You know, earlier this week, studying this, uh, I was reminded of, of a story in the Old Testament of a man named Daniel. I'm sure most of us have heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den. You know, he's thrown in the lion's den. The lions don't eat him uh, because he was living right. But the, the, the first part of that story is Daniel has gained so much favor in the kingdom that the king is about to place him as the number two, the second in command to reign over the entire kingdom. And there were these people that hated Daniel so much because Daniel was righteous, because he was incorruptible. They said they, they couldn't find anything wrong with him. They couldn't find any sort of deceit. And so they knew that the way they lead, led, the way they, you know, uh, the, uh, uh, unjustly profited from others wasn't going uh, to be tolerated with Daniel. And so they went and they hated him so much that they cooked up this scheme so that Daniel would be thrown into the lion's den, hoping that Daniel would then die and then they would be elevated and they could rule in Daniel's place. But what happens? Daniel goes into the lion's den. God shuts the mouths of the lions, and he's fine. He's rescued the next morning. And then what happens? All those people, all those men that, that hated him so much, that lied about him, that, that deceived the king into throwing him into, into this lion's den, and all this, what happens? They themselves perish and die because of their deceit. You know, whenever we face ridicule, when we face Hatred, when we face persecution, our natural human, you know, instinct is to fight back. When God says, no, no, let me fight your battles for you. 
Let me be the one that elevates you. Let me be the one that vindicates you. And that's what happened with Daniel. He didn't go in and, and, and scream and yell, and this is not right. This is not going to happen. Okay, throw me in the lion's den. If I've lived right, my God's going to save me. Okay. I mean, I don't know about you. I don't really want to spend the night in the lion's den, even if I have been living correctly. Even if I have been, you know, uh, you know, drenched my life in prayer and soaked in God's presence, whatever. Like, I don't know. Like, as, as good as I've ever felt, like as close to God as I've ever felt, I don't know if I'd be like, yeah, throw me in the lion's den. I'm going to be okay. He said, you know what? God's going to take care of me, and he's going to take care of this. And so Daniel goes in there, and what happens? God vindicates him. God takes care of him. So we're to rejoice when we're left out. We're to, be, we're to rejoice when we're ridiculed, overlooked, or hated because of Jesus but only because of Jesus and the gospel. Daniel 6 is where the story's found. That's what I should have put up earlier. But next thing, rejoice when you're lied about. When I was studying this this week, preparing for today, and I wrote down, you know, rejoice when, when, when you're lied about, I was reminded of Jesus in front of the Sanhedrin. You know, there's this, this verse where Paul writes that we are to share in the sufferings of Christ. And yes, Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the dead, but also Jesus stood in front of people and was lied about. There were these men that came up and they threw all these lies out in front of Jesus. And Jesus doesn't defend himself. He doesn't say, that's not right, that's a lie. He says, that's not correct, that's a lie, that's not true. He just stood there in silence. In silence. Silent before his accusers saying, lie. Say all you want. I know what's right. My father knows what's right. And he's the one that's going to carry me through. I don't need to defend myself. I don't need to do an exact revenge on someone. I don't need to prove them wrong. God's going to take care of me. If I'm persecuted for the cause of Christ, if I am lied about because of the way that I'm living, because I'm living according to Scripture and according, I'm following Jesus as best I can, God is the one who's going to take care of me. We're to rejoice when others lie about us. In Romans chapter 12, uh, when I was in college, uh, Bible college, one of my professors named Chris Frith, uh, he would talk about Romans 12. And he, it's kind of an interesting uh, passage and, uh, about what God does. He says, when someone treats you poorly... When someone persecutes you, ridicules you, lies about you, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And we read this last week. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, as much as we possibly can, we're to live at peace with everyone. And look at verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. See, if we take revenge if we're the ones who enact revenge, if we're the ones who defend ourselves, what we're doing is we're not leaving room for God to fight for us. It says, leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Listen to verse 20. On the contrary, 
If your enemy, those who have treated you wrong, those who have persecuted, lied about you, those who have who've done everything they can to get that promotion over you, those who have done everything they can to, to make you look bad in the eyes of your neighbors or your boss or your teachers, those who have done everything they can to make you look bad in the eyes of your family or your friends, those who, your enemy, if your enemy is hungry, what are we supposed to do? Get them back, stab them in the back, prove that we're right? No, no, he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. If your enemy's hungry and he's in need, treat him as you would a close friend. And then, this is just funny to me. You will reap burning coals on his head. By treating them nice when they've treated you poorly, you're reaping burning coals on their head. Like, what? how interesting. God's like, listen, there's two things that happen when someone persecutes you, when someone lies about you, when someone does everything they can to push you down to pull themselves up, and then you've remained silent and you've stayed true and you've stayed faithful. There's, two, there's one of two things that's going to happen. Either that person is going to repent because they feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit on their life, they're going to repent. They're going to come back and they're going to apologize to you and they're going to make things right because God works on their heart. Or if that doesn't happen, the second thing is going to happen, God's going to take care of them. He says, you got to leave room for God to do what God is going to do because it's God's to avenge and our repay. Here's part of the, the rub and part of the tension is a lot of times we want God to get them back instead of wanting them to repent. See, we should always want anyone who treats us poorly, we should treat them kindly, feed them, give them you know, something to drink if they're thirsty, but also we should pray and desire that they repent, they seek forgiveness, and they come back to God. That they make that relationship right. When someone's treated us wrong, even if we do all the other stuff right, we don't retaliate. If internally we still wish, we're just like, get them, God, get them. That's not living the way Jesus lived. Jesus said, no matter what wrong you've done, come to me. And as long as you come to me, you'll find forgiveness. So we should pray and hope and love on them so that hopefully and prayerfully they will come to repentance and back into right relationship with Jesus. There was this saying, uh, I think we, I'm pretty sure we heard it from, from Pastor Chris in, in, uh, in college. Brooke and I have said it and heard it for years, and it's kill them with kindness. And it comes, comes, what? Or my mom? Yeah, it could have been my mom, I don't know. We, we said it for a long time. It's like, we're just going to kill them with kindness. And it comes from this scripture. Because it's like, you know what? We're going to heap burning coals on their head by being really kind to them. It's like, we're just going to kill them with kindness. It's like, you know what? When someone's treating you poorly, when they have this rough exterior and they're being mean, one of the best things you can do is you can wear down that rough exterior just, just being kind. Being gracious and loving to them. Treating them the way Jesus treated us. And when we hated, uh, uh, when we hated righteousness, when we were living in the darkest parts of our sin, Jesus said, with all the love and grace I have, I extend it to you. Come to me and receive forgiveness. Rejoice when you are lied about. Rejoice when you are insulted. You know, I personally don't like being insulted. You know, growing up uh, as a young kid, I was insulted quite often. I was always the tallest person in the class. People just couldn't stand, you know, to, to be around my immense height. I was heading shoulders and taller than everybody, and they were just made fun of me all the time because of it, right? They insulted me. They're like, how could you be so, look at those chicken legs, you're so tall, right? 
and said, you're so tall and skinny, you have to run around in the shower just to get wet, right? That's, you know, no, that didn't happen. I was never the tallest in any class that I've ever been in, ever. I don't like being insulted. Uh, the other night, we were at the, the high school football game, and I was walking from the bleachers over to the concession stand, and I, and, and I heard, you know, from, from this backside, I heard a whole group of people making fun, well, a whole group of girls making fun of a boy because of his new haircut. And I was reminded how mean kids can be, right? It's like, man, like, leave the dude alone. Like, he's, he's just, he just wants love like everybody. Like, he just wants to fit in. He thought it would be cool. Like, leave him alone. I mean, I didn't say that to them. But uh, I remember what it was like to be insulted. No one likes being insulted. It's counterintuitive. But Jesus says, when we're insulted, we're to rejoice. When someone makes fun of us because of the way we believe, because that we follow Jesus, we are to rejoice. You know, I personally believe that as followers of Christ, our aim should be for our love to shine so bright that those around us will never have any ill will towards us. I believe that should be our aim. As followers of Jesus, we should live quiet and peaceful lives, as Paul said. That we are to love people, to make sure we live above reproach. As far as it depends on us, that we can live at peace with everyone. And we do everything we can to live so loving and grace-filled that people can't say anything bad about us. We're to be the most kind, the most loving, the most compassionate, considerate people on the planet. And that anyone who would insult us would be immediately found to be in the wrong because of the way we live. But sadly, we're still going to be insulted. Even if that's the way we live, there's going to be people who find it appalling. And they're going to insult us for the way we live, the way we believe. Whether it's the college professor that says, you really believe that Genesis is how the world was created. You believe in that account? Like, you're just blind. You're just ignorant, and you need to know the truth. Or it's that coworker that's like, do you really believe in that whole God stuff? Like, you believe that God can heal people and all that? Like, you're dumb. Like, I, I thought you were smarter than that. There's going to be times in this life where we are insulted, and in those times when we're insulted because of what we believe, because of the cause of Christ, we're to rejoice. We are to rejoice when we're left out, when we're ridiculed, when we're overlooked, when we're hated. We are to rejoice when we're lied about. We are to rejoice when we are insulted. Now, why? Because if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. I want the spirit of glory. I want the spirit of God to rest on my life. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ. Now, sometimes we confuse the insults and persecution because we think that someone's persecuting us because of Christ and it really has nothing to do with Jesus. It's a political stance or it's an opinion about a clothing or it's an opinion about alcohol or whatever. And it has nothing to do with Jesus. But when it's about Jesus, which does happen when we're living right, we're living with integrity, we're not lying, we're not... Okay, when it's about Jesus, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. I want the spirit of glory. I want the spirit of God to rest on me, which means sometimes I'm going to experience insults. Sometimes we are going to experience insults. We are to rejoice when all these things happen because great is your reward in heaven. Paul writes that we're to share in the suffering of Jesus. 
Now, for the longest time, I didn't really understand what that meant. Like, how do I share the suffering of Jesus? Am I supposed to go down a cross? Like, am I supposed to be whipped? Like, I thought he did that for me. When we're persecuted for Jesus, we're sharing in the suffering of Jesus. When we're insulted, ridiculed, hated, lied about, we're sharing in his suffering. And when we share in the suffering of Jesus, our reward in heaven is great. See, as followers of Christ, we are looking forward to a day where we enter into eternity. We look forward to a day and we, we prayerfully will stand before God and he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Which means sometimes we're going to have to endure some painful things for him. Sometimes we're going to have to do some things that we're not excited about. We're going to have to endure some things and we can't take revenge. We're not supposed to, you know, to, 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 to defend. We just allow God to be the defense. Our goal in this life should be to attain the rewards of heaven. Not the rewards of this life, but the rewards of heaven. Thankfully, our God is so good, so gracious and kind, that when we follow him and we do what's right, he blesses us here on this earth. But that's not why we do it. We do it for the rewards of heaven. We do it for eternity. I mean, how do we do this? We just be obedient to Jesus. We we, we be obedient to his word. We be obedient to his call. We be obedient to those Holy Spirit whispers. And then we rejoice when we're treated poorly because of him. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you this morning. And we pray for the strength to follow your word and not culture. God, we pray for the strength to not enter in to the gossip. We pray for the strength to be honest when we've made a mistake. We pray for the strength to endure ridicule, to endure insults. We pray for the strength to endure being hated or overlooked because of you. God, we pray you'd give us the strength to love people just as much as you do. You give us the strength and the wisdom to see when people are attacking us that it could be an opportunity for us to love them so well that they come into repentance and they choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, we are going to break into groups this morning and discuss. It's been a couple weeks since we did that.